Thank you, and welcome to this teaching from Today Evangelical Ministries. Today Evangelical Ministries is dedicated to teaching the undiluted truth of God's Word. Here is Dr. Emeka Ozrumba as he brings today's teaching. May the Lord bless you as you listen. Last week, I told you we're going to talk about, we're going to go back again and talk about love. Because people have been requesting, we need to have that on tape, we need to do this, we need to do that. And I quite agree with you. And I told everybody to pay attention even today. Even those of you who have had this preach before or talked about before, I want you to pay particular attention for one reason and one reason only. Some of the things the Lord has showed me and probably going to teach us today, that has not been brought up even when we're talking about love. At least something that will lead us into a full understanding of what God is talking about when it comes to love. The reason for that is this. The kingdom of God, the foundation of the kingdom of God is laid in love and obedience. Those are the two keys to the kingdom of God. Let me tell you one thing. If anybody will understand, appreciate, comprehend, and begin to live the two keys to the kingdom of God. That is all about God and the gospel of the kingdom of God. I'm telling you right now. The rest we do are stories and jump about and doing this and doing that. But without those two keys, I told you that when I was confined in the house for three years, that a mighty hand came when I was fasting and prayers, protruding from the door as white as snow with two small keys, telling me these are the only keys to the kingdom of God. From Genesis to Revelation, there are no more keys given to anybody. Somebody can tell, oh, there are seven keys, 100 keys. Forget about it. God is simple. There are two keys, he said, given. And there's only one door. And that door is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that no man ever will ever come into the kingdom of God except through him. But the two keys that are so ultimate, I'm telling you right now, if you can understand it and live it, love and obedience. Love and obedience. The foundation of the kingdom of God is built on that. The character of God is in love and obedience. And it's about love and obedience. The character of God. The wholeness of God is about perfect love and implicit obedience. Because God is love. And there's no way you can remove that. God is love. So everything about love is actually the most important thing to God. You cannot obey God except you love him. And you cannot love him without obeying him. That's just the way it is. So I'm going to really try to slow down. Let's make sure we get this foundation. Because that's the problem why 99% of people probably in churches do not understand and do not know God. Because they've been building on a wrong and false and shaky foundation of what these two keys of God are all about. But the cornerstone of all things that God does and the cornerstone of all the commandments of God is love. And that's why we're going to try to really look into it carefully. That cornerstone is love. It surpasses everything else. 
that you can even begin to imagine. That is why if you look at the First Corinthians 13, everybody knows it. Where he's talking about love. He said, no matter whatever you do, even when you kill yourself, sacrifice your flesh, even when you build one million churches that are building for God, without love, you are nothing. But he tells us one thing. Of everything you all put together, then he gives us what? First Corinthians 13, 13. What does it say? And now abideth faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. The greatest of this is love. Understanding actually what God is talking about when he said about love is very key. Please, from this night, we're going to be serious. And we take our time and make sure we master it and get it and pray to God to give us that spirit. When we finish, we need prayers. So just, just can pray for that. We, God will even give us because some of us, even right here, maybe including myself, I always say myself, I'm the, I'm the one who's guilty. Sometimes we think we know what love is all about. Then until we are tested and we fall flat on our face and we claim that we are born again, we are of God. No, 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 no. You need that spirit. That's why he said that love is everything. Love is patient. Love is no long suffering. Go through it, I think. We don't need to just go through it, right? And all of them. And that is why the question came to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please, let's make sure we get this clear. A lawyer asked him a question. Lord, what is actually the greatest commandment? In fact, he asked that question to tempt him. But lo and behold, he told him what actually is the greatest commandment. In other words, without this greatest commandment living in you and you being perfect in it, you are an empty vessel. You are wasting that much time. And that's why we need to cry unto God. But I will come because most of us will be saying, oh my God, who can anybody do it? That's why he's going to answer us so many questions today. So in Matthew, could you find me Matthew, please? Matthew 22. Matthew twenty-two, thirteen, eighteen. 18. But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt you me, you hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he's... He perceived their craftiness. I'm not... Because this I want you to start coming right now. The flattery. I told you one thing, that actually flattery is the greatest what? One of the worst things that anybody can do. And this lawyer came again, trying to tempt him. The same time, and I'm going to come there to verse 37 to 40. You will see, they came from the beginning. I'm going to tempt him. Lord, should we pay tribute? But they know very well. But how did they start? They started in a most flattery way. They said, we know that you are right and just and everything about you is wonderful. When somebody starts saying that about you, you better run. When somebody starts flattering, you better run. Because, you see, the heart and the mouth are in conflict. That is the worst thing that anybody can commit. When actually your mouth is saying something else, but your heart is actually saying one other thing. I don't know some of you who have been in work situations. Wherever you have your job, you're working. I'm sure it's very common. Somebody says to you, hi, and smile. But inside, oh, I wish you would die. No, I mean, it does happen, right? So this lawyer came again. And said, okay, what is the greatest commandment? Can you read that for me? 
Matthew 22 from 35, from 37. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You see precisely what I was saying. Please, my brothers and sisters, let's get this in. Christ said, in these two commandments, hang the law and prophets, everything. You may want to throw them all away, but without this one, you will get nowhere. They all hang there. But this is the problem we have. Since this is the cornerstone of all the commandments, since this is the greatest commandment, but the fearful thing that we have, we're going to try to go through it now, is that we are commanded to be perfect in love as God. And that's what is the scariest area. In fact, one pastor tried to, a few of them tried to argue with me, and said, well, there's nobody who can be as perfect in love as God. I'm not saying I am. But I have to tell you one thing. God who cannot lie. Are you following me now? God who is omnipotent, infallible, and cannot lie, has commanded us to be perfect in love. That means that God knows it's possible. But that is understanding and the foundation. That's why we get it all wrong. God knows it's possible. Because you see, if you look at Matthew 5.48, which of course, he says, be you perfect in what? In love, actually. As your heavenly father is also perfect. In fact, he told us that that's only one way to be one with God. In fact, some, there was a question that John was talking, Apostle John was saying, well, how would we look? Now that we're the children of God, how would we appear and how do we look? And he answered that one. Okay, read me first, first John 4.17, please. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear has torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. He said, we are supposed to be as God is. And that is an area that most of us are worried about. And we're going to find an answer tonight. We're supposed to be as perfect as God is. How possible is that? Can anybody be perfect as God is? That's the question we have right now. And I'm sure most of us will say, no. Because he is God. And we are flesh. And actually your answer is wonderful and perfect. But still he tells us, we're supposed to be perfect. As he is in love. And if you go back all the way, from Exodus, he said, be you holy, for I am holy. That means he wants us to be holy. If you look at, Ex if you look at Genesis 17.1, he told Abraham, he said, Abraham, I have called you, but you walk with me. And the only way you will be able to walk with me is to walk with me in perfection, right? Be perfect as I am. Why? There is no way God can really be with anyone who is not like him. Listen to me carefully right now. And we can be just be asked and say, how possible this is? That is why we went all the way from the foundation. And we're going to see this foundation now. I'm going to rush it because we dealt with it before. There were two foundations I dealt with. If you get those two foundations all in, then you see how possible it is. If I say here with God, all things are possible, it will fly us. Of course, you know, I'll be quoting what's in the Bible. But let us see exactly 
how this came about. Why are we, the ones who are the given, the called, the elect, are supposed to be as God is? In love. I'm not talking about anything that's at least in love. Because if you are as God, as if you are as God is in love, you are then perfect in everything else. And everything else will be subject to you. So how did we do it? We went to the first foundation. I'm going to go back there now. So, you know, we build a foundation before we start talking about the love of God. And then before we even, maybe under other weeks, we talk about the love of others, which is the biggest problem. We went to the foundation of spiritual repentance. Brother and sister, listen to me carefully. We went to that. That's the reason why God prepared us from that foundation, the basic foundation of repentance and getting it right. Without a solid foundation, we always falter when it comes to what God is telling us to do. And most of us will almost fall back and said, well, you know, that lazy mentality is not possible to do. Hey, I am a human being just like you. I would ask everybody else. But there's something God wants us to follow. He says, if you follow my foundation, my ways, I'll be the one to do the things that you cannot do. So we went to the foundation of spiritual repentance. And we find out that one who was spiritually has repented, we have what? A 360 degrees Turn around. That's the first step. Please, that's the first step. At 360 degrees, where you are right now, no, Lord, I'm going to turn completely around from those things I do that are wrong, from those things that are sinful to you. I'm turning around. I'm turning away from them and then turning to you. That's the first thing that God wants us to do. Then I told you to accomplish that for spiritual. And I'm not going to quote the, the scriptures. There are many of them. We're going through them before. Spiritually, for it to be effective, for confession and repentance to be effective, you must, within you, willingly, in good conscience and in good faith, be willing to forsake the evil thing you've been doing. If I st I've been stealing, now I'm coming to God. Lord, please, from now, forgive me. I must be willing from the heart that God will see clearly that I'm sorry that I will not do it again. Without that kind of vow, without that kind of res resolve that I wouldn't do it again, God will never take you serious. Oh, this is, this is a situation. That's why I gave you an example when we were here. I said, if you have a child, a child comes every time, daddy or mom is sorry about that, okay, you know I broke that glass. And every morning you come out, the glass is broken. The same child, I'm sorry I broke it. Every day, I said, would, would you take that child to be serious? Obviously, he's doing it intentionally. That's just the way it is. And God is saying, and the typical thing that God, in God's situation, is different because he sees the heart, which you cannot see. He knows when you are serious. You see? That's why I gave you an example. The woman in John 8, 11, when the woman was caught in adultery, and the Lord said, go and sin no more. In other words, now that you know what is right? Go and do it no more. Without that backup of saying, I won't do it anymore from the heart, God will not forgive because they're not serious. That is why he told us, said, you see, these people, they come with me, to me, what? With their mouth. But their heart is what? Father will remove from me. What God is seeking for is that heart. So when God sees that, a vow to forsake, then before confession. Now, this is the situation. Once that is done, like the prodigal son, we look in Luke, what, Luke 15, right? If you look at 17 to 20, 
or even not the 21, if you want to. I don't know if you want to read it all. But then you see, he said, when he came to himself, the man who had offended, when he came to himself, outside of his father, listen to me, please, careful. Outside of the father, he came. When he came to himself, I have really done something wrong. This thing is wrong. I will not do it anymore. Then he said, I will get up and go to my father. When he came to himself, it was the most important thing. And when the father, even before he got to the father, the father turned around. And what? Reach out for him. That's the same thing God is saying. If you look at Psalm what, 51, 17, he said, a broken heart, that heart that is crying, that heart that is sorry, I will never despise that heart. Because I know that heart is what? Mendable. Are you, are you, are you following what I'm saying right now? So you, that's why when you come to God, the forgiveness. So we finish with that. Now, this is the area that everybody needs to understand now, and that's what gives us the power. God is saying, if I will see this heart that is willing to forsake, now let me put it this way, I'm saying willing. I don't mean that maybe in the future something may not happen, you, you, you offend God. We, we do. But it will never be willingly and intentional anymore. If I'm caught in adultery now, and God said, don't do it anymore. And then tomorrow I go do it. I'm doing it willingly and what? Intentionally. Forget about it. I am. And God will say, hey, hey. You can't tell me you don't know what you're doing. Now, but you see, God said, if I see that heart then coming, that's willing to forsake. That is willing to obey. These are the most critical things. The willingness to forsake and the willingness to obey. When God sees that, then God says, I will then come and fulfill the covenant which I promised them. I will then give him an enabling spirit. The spirit of God that can do all things. This spirit I also call the conforming what? Spirit. I also call it this. The transforming spirit. He said, I will transform you then into the image of what? Into the image of my son. But let me ask you this. What is that image of the son? What is the image of the son of God? Holiness and what? Righteousness. That's perfection. He said, I will transform you. It's not you anymore. Because I've seen this willingness, I will come with an enabling spirit. The spirit that can enable you be transformed into that image. And that is what he was telling us. Once that is done, I'm coming to the Lord. This is building everything to you right now. The power of God will then transform you into the image of the Son, giving you the ability to do that which you cannot do. The same transformation and the same spirit is the one who gives us what I call the ultimate power. Does anybody know what the ultimate power is? The ultimate power is everything is to become the sons and children of God. You see? If you look at John 1, 12, he said, those, can you read it please? But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. He's giving them the power to become the sons of God. The same people he has given. Not only the power. But he's given to them to understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Would you read me Matthew 13, 11 please. He answered and said unto them. 
because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. You see, there are people who are giving them to understand it. That's people like you who will understand what the message today is. To understand the mystery of the kingdom of God. If you look at the same thing, Matthew 19, 11, he said, no, no, no. That's only when you are given to understand. You will not. Otherwise, it will fly over. But who are these people? He says, giving them the power to become the children of God. But these are people, if you look at John 3, what? 5 to 6. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So these are the people who are given to become the children of God, that are born of the Spirit now. Listen, all the way from the foundation of spiritual repentance, now the Spirit has come. To help you to do that which no man can do. And we all know with God all things are possible. These people are the so-called the true creatures. Second Chronicles, right? No, Second Corinthians 5.17. It says, as many as are in Christ, they are all what? New creatures. And they are given to understand. These are also, Galatians 3.27 said, these are also people who have put on Christ. They have become him. That is why this is, the bar is raised. That, we come, please don't understand it. When I was talking about adultery in the heart, that's why I told you, say, why did this all of a sudden change? And Christ said, if you look at a woman and lost after her, you have committed adultery. Because he's talking about people who are now the spirit of God. Now listen to me. He said, those who are born of the spirit are what? Spirit. spirit. That means those who are born of God are God. That's why Ephesians 4.24 tells us what? It says, these people now are people who are created after God in righteousness and in holiness. They are like God. The small God. Listen to you. These are people. They have the authority. And these are the ones, according to Romans 8.14, they are the ones who are led by the Spirit of God. They are led by the Spirit that enables them. To do that is what is impossible. So you can see when John was talking about in First John three what eight said that anyone who commits sin is of the devil. You can see why he's talking about it. Anyone who's been transformed, who has now become the image of God, it is not by might or power; it is God. But to start from the level of willingness and a total surrender, and say, "From now, Lord, here I am." Those things I used to do bad, have mercy. I will not do them anymore. Let him see the seriousness from your heart. And God said, my child, I will come. Why? Because if you see, that is the new covenant. Remember the new covenant that God is talking about. This enabling, transforming spirit is a new covenant he promised. He said, the time will come when I will have a new covenant. And this time, I will not only just talk to them, but I will write my laws. Where? Read me Hebrews 8, 10 to 12. For this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord. For all shall know me from the least to the greatest. 
I, please try to get this and absorb it and understand it very well. A new covenant which was fulfilled in Christ. He said that come and establish to us. Look at the way and the only way. Follow it that you may have life and you may have it very abundantly. I will give a new covenant and it comes in. And that's a fulfillment, not only that, but what he promised us in Ezekiel. If you look at Ezekiel 11, 19 to 20, he said, I will give them what? You see, that's what he's talking about, what? A new spirit and what? A new heart. The heart of stone removed. Those people now have been refined. They've been all been refined and brought in completely new. That is why, <laughs> let me tell you one thing. That is why if you look at Zechariah, Zechariah was just saying, remember Joshua? And God was just kind of, uh, Joshua was standing before God, the angel of the Lord. And then, you know, the Satan was resisting Joshua. And God said something. Joshua was at fault. That's why the devil was resisting. Are you following me now? But because of that spirit that God has given Joshua, refined person, ordained person, God said, have you forgotten Satan that this is a man who was brought out of where? From the fire. It's mine. So don't forget that. Because I'm the one just leading that. So this transformation, that's a new covenant that God has come to establish. And with that, you'll be able to understand why God is telling us, you need to come to me and draw close to me and be with me. And then you'll be able to understand. And I gave you, if you look at what John 10 to 34, I gave you where God said, you are God. I'm not the one saying it. And then even what? Exodus 4, 16. I showed you exactly where God was telling what? Moses. Moses said, look, you know, you are God unto Aaron. And he went in Exodus 7.1. He said, I have made you God unto Pharaoh. When Pharaoh sees you, he's seeing God. Because not you, Moses, anymore. Because my spirit is the one who is leading. That's why we sing. He said, this mountain shall be removed by his spirit. It's not by the mind. It's not by power. But by that spirit that will remove it. So now... You have this person who is transformed into the image of God coming in now and God is expecting you to say, you must be as I am. That's why there's nobody who can worship God in spirit and in truth except the person is transformed into that one born of what? The spirit of God. Because only the spirit understands where the spirit is going. But don't worry so much about it because some of us, you see, the great Pharisee, remember the Nicodemus, Nicodemus couldn't understand what it's all about. How is a man going to be? And, but then you see, Nicodemus should be forgiven. But for us, we should not be forgiven. And I'm going to show you why. Nicodemus should be forgiven. Because Nicodemus could, couldn't understand it. How in the world is this is all going to, this transformation is going to be done? He was worried about a spirit-filled life. How is that possible? How is a man going to be? Operating in the spirit of the living God. And Christ told him what? In John 3, 8. What did he tell him? The wind bloweth where it listeth. And thou heareth the sound thereof. But canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the spirit. Look, Nicodemus. This wind is going. You will not. That's how the spirit of God operates. There's something I want to ask you right now. Don't ever let any human being sitting, standing, walking, deceive you anymore in life. Don't ever 
let anybody. That's why I told you from the beginning that you have been here. I said, watch what I'm saying. Watch the word of God. Question it. Don't ever stand no matter whatever the person is. If it is not consistent with the word of God, please get out and seek the way out. You know why I'm saying it? There is, look at Nicodemus. Nicodemus could be forgiven. Why? Because Nicodemus was not privy to all the teachings of Jesus Christ. I wouldn't blame the man. But for us, everything that is of God and everything that's of God, God has been made manifest to us. Why? He sent his only begotten son to come to say, this is the way. God came down from heaven to teach us everything we need to know. So we have no more excuse. That's why he was giving us what? What is it in Romans 1, 17 to 20? Let's read that. For therein is revealed a righteousness of God from faith unto faith, as it is written, but the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known of God is manifest in them, for God manifested it unto them. For the invisible things of him since the creation of the world are clearly seen, being perceived through the things that are made, even his eternal power and divinity, that they may be without excuse. That they may be without, you and I, <laughs> please, you and I now are without excuse. Why? Everything that you need to know about God, even his invisible nature, Everything about God is now made manifest to us. It's clear. We should understand that. No wonder Christ was just telling us in Luke 16, 16, verse 16. He said, the law and the prophet, the only prophesies before John. He said, until John. After that, there is nobody else on this earth that will come now and give you prediction that this is what God, this is this. I am telling you right now. The law and the prophet, they may have a knowledge, word of knowledge. They may have whatever dream, everything they want to have. But predictive, to predict, okay, this is just about God. No, because God came. There is nothing else. That is why during that, before him, any, any prophet will tell you, thus says the Lord. But he came say, I am the Lord. I am telling you. There's nobody else for you to go and ask. And listen to him. I am telling you, very, very, I say unto you, there is nobody else to question. I have come down from heaven to tell you. And that's why I keep saying, before certain time, they told you this. But I come to correct now. Now I tell you this. This is the right way to it. So there's no way anybody can be misled anymore going through it. You know why? In Hebrew 1. I love Hebrew 1, 1 to 2. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, who, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. He has in this final and last day told us how God is. Let no one be deceived. I'm telling you right now. That's why he kept saying those who have... He has to hear. Let them better hear. Because there's nothing else 
that's going to change. Nobody's going to come. And I don't blame John. John was saying it, and I believe he said, even an angel, say, claiming an angel of the God, comes here between you and tell you, say, this doctrine and this, this of Christ is no longer there. He said, don't welcome him. Because all about God has been revealed to us. So now, the love we're talking about, I want to build that background so you know we have no excuse not to grab and believe what God is talking about. So, love of God. Because we're dealing with love. Everything I've gone through, the background is all about this love. To get you to this point now, so you know. How then do you love God? Let's start with God, because the one of the love we have for each other is always a, is a heavy duty. We'll get to it. Very, very. Love of God. Seeking God. Seeking the fullness of God. Out of a spiritual hunger. For you to find God. For you to get God's attention. For the route of God to live. Even anger. God will just live. But God will never pass you. God will never in this life. Call upon him. He will never pass you. When you have a certain spiritual hunger. That passes all understanding. I can't even describe it. This is a hunger that drives someone crazy about God. Let me use the word crazy. I use it in quotation. It drives someone crazy about God and things about God. And this is the kind of hunger you have that nothing ever comes ever, ever before God. Listen to me right now. If anything will ever come before your life, and most of us say, no, God is all nothing. But my God, when we are tested, we find out that there are many things coming before God. If anything comes before God, you don't love him. God is not half measure. It's either you are there or you're not there. Now, there's something that offends God. From the onset, let's get this picture right. I was in Nigeria and God said, do you know the problem that makes God so very angry? Is that what he has given you and I is what we use to offend him. Now, think about it. I don't want to quote something now because if I go into the proverb now, it's almost like there's something that in proverb says that, you see, if, if you <laughs> pay good with evil, no, I don't want to. Let's God. Let's forget it. Let's move on. He said, evil will never depart. Whatever. It, but what I'm saying is, God's so merciful. Think about it if you are a human being, the thing we do. I give you something. All of a sudden, you prefer the gift to me. Are you full? Now, let's get this. I give the talent we have, the gift we have, even the life we have, even the opportunity we have to go make money, to do business, to have children. For whatever we have in this world, God has given it to us. But we use those things to fight him and offend him. Think about it. You give me a gift. And all of a sudden the gift is preferred. Nobody will like it. Nobody. And God doesn't like that. And he told us from the beginning, I am a jealous God. Don't bring anything. And it's just why he told us, look, for everything about me, he tried to define it. Deuteronomy 6.5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. But how do you love the Lord thy God with all your heart and with all your heart? This is what we're going to try to figure out this night. Please. The love of God must be perfect. I'm telling you right now. 
the knowledge. Let me tell you this. If you want to make note of this, just just come to the knowledge of the truth. They said you must know the truth, and the truth shall set you what free. The knowledge of the truth is a perfection of the two keys. The knowledge of the truth is a perfection of love. Without perfection, you cannot do anything. Because that's the only way to relate to God. He said, with all your heart, with all your mind, with everything you have, love me with it. How do we make this thing simple so we can try to understand exactly what God is talking about? Then he goes in Jeremiah 29, 13. says what? You shall seek me. You can seek me. You shall find me. Only when you do what? You search for me with all your heart. That is where the problem is. Searching God with all your heart. But then let me put this right now for everyone to understand. Whatever that we get, whatever we have from God, whatever it is in this world, that's one thing. They all perish. They all perish. There's only one thing that's imperishable. And that's God who has given it all. And that he tried to demonstrate to us how to seek him. And how do you do that? And God showed us with example. We're coming right now with a typical example. He brought his friend, Abraham. He said, I'm going to show my children how to actually to love me. And he told Abraham, go and sacrifice that only son I've given to you. Now, I don't really think any one of us here would have been able to do that. And I'm not saying that I would have been able to do it. Listen to me carefully. But that is why we are praying that God will give us that enabling spirit that doesn't doubt him and doesn't wonder. When you have that spirit and born of him, then there's nothing that you look back into. And Abraham proceeded to show his love beyond everything. And then God said, really? So Abraham, you are willing to let go. Even that, which is the most precious thing to you. Genesis 22. And you read 12 and 16 to 18. Genesis twenty-two, twelve, And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou feareth God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thy only son, from me. And he said, and, and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thy only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned unto his young men, and they rose up and went together. Can you believe this? God, God is, can you believe such a blessing that God will just give somebody just because of showing that love that passes all understanding? And he gave us an example. Then God said, turn around and said, well, maybe my children will still not understand exactly what I'm doing. It's such a wonderful God, I'm telling you. 
Then he turned around. In John 3.16, he said, I saw there's one way. Let me tell you one thing. Whatever you really cherish more than anything else, you will do everything for it. Now, that's, that's where the question comes in. What is the word of God and the kingdom of God to you? Every day, ask that question. What is it worth to you? If it's worth everything, you must what? Give everything for it. And I pray that it will work everything to you. Because God did the same thing. In John 3, 16, he turned around and said, well, I so love you. I was even praying this morning. I said, it's amazing, God, that if I were the only human being on this earth, you would have still sacrificed your only son for me. I so love you that the one way for me to demonstrate it is to give all that I have. And God said, do that also unto me. Now let's, let's get it this way. And when he sent his only begotten son, he came down. We're going to take this step by step to define what this love of God for. And that definition in Luke 14. Read me 26, please. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, I think some of you, I was thinking that some of you are going to jump and clap. I said, that's wonderful. We're going to start hating everybody now. <laughs> right? But that's not what he's talking about. If anything ever comes before me, that's what he's saying. Let me put it that way. If anything, if your mother or your child or your money or your business will come before me, then obviously you're not worthy to be my disciple. And he goes on, and we're going to try to look into this one now. He goes on to 33 to 35, please. The same one. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Whenever you hear that, that is scary. Whenever God says, who has ears to hear, let him hear. I'm just, in other words, I am telling you everything that you need to know. Whoever is not willing to forsake all. Now, God does not want us to forsake all. Who eat? We walk. He wants us to walk. He wants us to do things. But he says, if there's anything that you're not willing to give up for the love you have for me, then you don't love me enough. Why? Because that which you don't want to give up is the thing that you cherish more than the other God. And that which you don't want to give up becomes your idol. As far as God is concerned. Because you, you actually, that's why he said you cannot serve two masters. Whichever one you go to, I love, that's the one that's going to be, actually, the one that's the master to you. So let's look at about this for a second. How many of you here are willing to forsake that which is the most important thing to you? I don't want anybody to raise hand or to say anything to me. But that is why he warned us. Whosoever tries to save his life, he shall what? He shall surely lose it. Because in the end, in the end, what matters is only him. One day, we shall surely forsake all. Have you ever tried to look into your garage? 
Sometimes the things you pack there for how many years? Some of them, the Bobby dolls and this and that, that were, were going crazy. Oh, but before, I want it, I want it, I want it. Especially those who can just, they, all they want is one, one they want to buy. Do you know, this is the latest thing, i buy it now. By the time it next to next year, it's no longer the latest. They want the other one, and they don't know where the other one is. And eventually, you go into that garage, everything's so full. You don't know what to do with it. It has become a burden. I see. Now, if you really all give up for that, in the end, you will not remember them. That's why I said the day will come. When we will not remember we have children, or money, or business, or anything. In fact, our prayer, and the prayer for, I pray for everybody here that God will give you good health. That when you get up in the morning, you wake up, you are in good health and life. Because when you are even not feeling well, and very down and sick, you don't even remember where the office is. But who gives you all this? And who gives you the power to make money? The same God. He should come first. That's all I'm not trying to say right now. So let's look at this for a second and people who did it. I'm not saying leave everything. Please look, forget about your job. If he didn't call you to do so, don't. Please. But not, let, let not that thing which you are doing ever come before him. That's all I'm saying. So the forsaken part of it is a test. God has a test. When we say we love God, God said, okay, I'm going to test you. Abraham, I'm going to test you. Are you willing to forsake this one? Abraham said yes. But see the way God called his apostles. It's amazing. Let's look at Matthew 4, please. Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. Going forth from there, he saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them, and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Can you believe these apostles? They left their business right there and followed him. In fact, John and James left their father and followed him. But we still also have some examples where some people said, well, come and follow me. And they said, well, let me go and bury my father first. They said, okay, you can go. And that's the end of it. But without going through all that in the Bible, let's look at one example. What is our case study? The rich young man. Matthew 19, 16 to 21. We may not go through all of it, but what it says here, I want to point out right now. The story goes this way and everybody knows. The rich young man came proud. You know one thing that is our, our problem? Pray that that will really leave you from today. We always think that by going to church every Sunday and by the little things we do, that we love God so much enough. Do you know that? We think, well, we have not even started in terms of how we love him. So this rich young man thought he has got it made. He has arrived. He came to Jesus Christ and said, you know, what should I do to have everlasting life? 
And Christ said, really? He said, yes. Well, obey the commandments. And the man said, but which ones do you want me to obey? And Christ deliberately, it was unbelievable, deliberately left the most important commandment. He never mentioned anything about love. He went on, don't commit adultery, don't do this, don't do that. Because he knew the, knew the heart of the man. And the man came back and said, what? Read me verse 20. Do you have it? The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? G I mean, <laughs> that, that area, I love it. What, just like some of us, you know, what do I like? After all, all my life, I have been doing the most wonderful things. And Christ said, really? So, you have been doing all those things, but there's something which he felt. What is it? Not talking about love. What is it? Being perfect in love. Christ said, if you will be perfect, that's what he put, if you will be perfect, go now, I'm going to give you a test. You, you say you've been perfect all along? Wonderful. Now, this is a test. Go and sell all those things that you have. Give to the poor. Then come back and follow me. And the rich young man said, God forbid. How can I? That ever happened? No, 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 no. He said, are you serious? What are you talking about? No, no, you can't mean it. You can't mean it at all. And Christ said, you know one thing? The man left. He grumbled and left. But there are two things. The lesson, there are two lessons. Number one, the greatest commandment, love of God with all your heart, the rich young man felt it. Because if you love God with all his heart, then he would have been able to, what? Forsake those and follow God. But he didn't want that. He wanted to, the pleasure of the moment. The temporal things that you can enjoy right now. You no, know, one politician, somebody told me in my village one time, one politician in the village said, well, I know there's, they said there's heaven and there's eight, and I believe it, but I want to have my own heaven here. I will eat and enjoy myself, and everything will be okay. But you see, the fool didn't know when that's going to happen. Well, they're just like the, fool, the, the foolish rich man, right? That had so much, he didn't know what to do with all his goods, and all of a sudden he said, I'm going to be the big one, because you see, I'm going to be here for 200 more years. So I'm just going to be the big one and enjoy it. And God said, okay, this fool. You want to see tonight? That's the end of you. So that is this our rich man. And the second one, he's failed the second test of love being perfect. Go and say what you have and give to the poor. Because when you give to the poor, you give to God. And he was not willing to do that either. So in other words, my good rich man, you lack everything. You're wondering what you lack. Everything. Because he's the one who asks, what do I lack? He lacked everything. Now let's get it from there. Then, the next thing we're going to jump into is this. For a second, being the first and the last. Whatever you do about God, be the first and the last of God. Maybe because I've mentioned this a lot, you know, the first time when I said this, in, this thing came up in, in, in Nigeria, in Port Harcourt, when I was there doing a revival, and the Lord told me, he said, when you go to this church this morning, tell them to be the first and the last. And they almost stoned me to death. How can you say we should be the first and the last? 
And God said, look, they are grumbling. But I'm the first and the last. If those who are my children, then I'm calling them to be the first and the last. I'm not saying that the last should be eventually be last. I say, be the first as well as being the last one. When you're seeking God, seek God early. If you look at Proverbs 8.17, he said, look, those who seek me early, they shall find me. But if you go very early, there are some of us who go and find other, I don't know what they call it in other, other languages. There are some, there's a tree that bears fruit. Plum? Really? Okay, whatever it is, I don't know. Okay. This, this very wonderful fruit falls every night, most of the time. And people will just go there very, very early in the morning. Just like sometimes there was a doll that came out. What's the name of that doll that came out in America? Everybody go 4 a.m. in the morning. To oh, yeah, exactly. They go 4 a.m. in the morning seek, and they'll camp. They will camp over. Some of them will camp overnight seeking for foolish doll. That the next year, they forgot all about it. But what I'm saying is if you go and buy that doll from the store and on your way going back home, you fall asleep and pack your car. And somebody comes and steals that door. Have you bought a door? No. Now, being the I'm coming right now. You go and pick the fruit of the door. And all of a sudden, you just lose it on the way. You have gotten nothing. The kingdom of God is an endurance race. When you find God, it's an endurance race. You run the race to the end. Forget about what other people, people just tell you and say, oh, no, no, no. Once you are saved, you are saved. Everything is okay. It's not. If you are saved, you better start walking out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Every day is a walk to the kingdom. And that's why he told us in Ezekiel 18, he said, well, if the righteous will fall off and begin to do the wrong thing, everything he has done before will be forgotten. He will go to hell. So it's an endurance race. You're running a race with God. And until you get to the end, you have not finished. And that's why Matthew 10, 22 tells us, well, whosoever endures to the end is the one who's going to be saved. So being able to find God first and being able to be the last. How did this come about? So when God was explaining this to me in Protocol, he said, well, I'm the first and the last. If I'm the first and the last, then my children, why would they be angry to be the first and the last? Okay, read me Ezekiel 48, 12. And this oblation of the land that is offered shall be unto them a thing most holy by the border of the Levites. Give me Revelation, please. 22, 13. Hearken unto me, O Jacob, and sorry, Isaiah 48, 12. Hearken unto me, O Jacob and Israel, my called. I am he. I am the first. I am also, I also am the last. Revelations 22, verse 13. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. The first and the last. If you got the other scripture, which I told you, that I said that it was Ezekiel 44, 6. It's actually Isaiah 44, 6. But it's just saying here, I am the Alpha and Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am the first. I'm also the last. If we are who are born of God now, born of the children of God, then we should be the first and the last in seeking God. So in Pentecost, then what actually happened is this. The Lord asked me, and because what actually did I know or what I thought, I should add the congregation about Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene. 
some of you probably have had this before, but some of you haven't had it. What do you think? Can I know, mommy? Anybody can tell me. Mary Magdalene, how do? What do we think about him? He was a sinner. And every church and every congregation have got the same thing. It was that woman that the Lord cast out seven devils. And it was that adulterous woman. And in particular, the Lord said, is that why I have this woman memorized in the scriptures, in the Bible? Ask them. Was she the only woman that God cast out the devil from? Why is she so prominent in the Bible? And they said they didn't know. They said, well, because she was the first and the last Except the Blessed Virgin Mary, there was no other woman in the Bible that is as blessed as Mary Magdalene. Because this woman was the first that Christ appeared to when he resurrected from the dead. But it's all hidden in the mystery of God. But how did this come about? She has such undying love that never gave up. And when God sees somebody who is so hungry for him, that does not want to give up, God said, I will manifest myself to that individual. So how did this come about? John 20. Let's deal with that. Maybe we can close very quickly. John 20. If you look at verse 1, it tells us something. But before you read it, this is what happened. Christ was crucified and taken to the sepulcher or the, the grave to be buried there. And then the body was being prepared. Mary Magdalene was one of them preparing the body. But the Bible told us that when Sabbath drew near, that means after 6 p.m., whatever, in, in, in Israel, you couldn't do anything anymore, the woman went back home. But he said, the next day, before even it would be daybreak, can you believe that? My own thinking would be that this woman never slept. But of everybody, Mary Magdalene was not an apostle. It was not one of those big weeks of the church. It was, she wasn't. A poor woman that was so hungry for the Lord. The Bible said what? The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Where did she go? She didn't find the body. Let's get this in now. That's why it's the first and the last. She was the first to go in there. And God there didn't see the body. She ran and told Peter, the rock. Now, let's get this in now. The rock of rocks. And told John, the beloved. They've taken the body of my Lord. And the Bible said, if you read it, that they ran with her back to the sepulchre. And when they got there and went in and looked and didn't see the body, this is what the apostles did. Read me verse 10. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. But Mary stood without at the sepulchre, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulchre. And seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, 
Why weepest thou? Whom seeketh thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. Now, that reading should make you weep with tears. The kind of love. L listen to me. This is a woman, the apostles, the biggest of the ones, they left. And this woman stayed. I will not leave this place until I get that body. I will not leave this place until I get the presence of God. Whatever it takes, I'm going to do it. And anybody she saw, if you have the body, give me. That's all I'm looking for. And even when Christ, it's not the Bible, even when Christ was asked, he said, woman, what are you weeping? In fact, she would have been able to say, I don't want to hear any more questions. All I want, give me the body of my Lord. Do you have it? Give me. Look at that. Why wouldn't Christ manifest unto her? Above everybody else. If you look for me, you'll find me. When you do so, with all your heart. Now, that's what is being the first and the last. But I'm just going to give you something that quickly right now. And I want, because I want to close this because so that next week we can deal with those tests about the love of God and pass that and start talking about the one you love so much, the love of others. But if you don't understand this one, you can't get it right and live with it. Just you and I. How then are we going to be able to do anything else? Moving in. Reciprocity. God reciprocates to every move you make. That is why in Revelations, you know the church of Lodesia, he said, well, are you hot or are you cold? I just want to know which one. Because if you are not one, you are standing in the middle, look warm, I'm going to spill, I'm just going to get you out of, completely out of my mouth. God doesn't want, God wants to define, define where you are. Are you with me or against me the other way around? So he responds and is progress. And I'm going to rush on this one because of time. I want to make sure we close on time. Whatever you put in, in God, is what you're going to get out. Whatever you put in. Don't worry. Somebody may be, even before you get here, he'll come here and do everything. Whatever, I'm seeking God every time. Say, oh, this is foolish. I'm telling you, whatever you put in, that's what you're going to find. If you have so much hunger for God, he says, I will not pass you by. Never, never. The same thing that happened. If I come to Houston right now, I'm visiting Houston. My best friend is here. And my best friend, after one month, I just leave without even saying hi or dropping by. Something is wrong. That's how God is. That's the same thing he did with Abraham, for example. If you look at what? Genesis 18, 17. God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And on the way, he said, how am I going to pass without stopping by and seeing my friend? Are you, are you following me? Should I hide what I'm doing from my friend? In other words, what if Abraham turns back and said, huh? you did all this. You said well, you're my friend. And you also, you did all this and you didn't tell me. Do you have it, 17? Genesis 18, 17. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? Now imagine God 
making sure he will not pass somebody because the person loves him. Let me tell you one thing. God is passing through the same thing, the same reciprocity, the same thing he did. If you look at what? Luke 19. He did it with Zacchaeus, the short man. I'm not going to pass. The Bible said that God was passing through Jericho. Never going to Jericho. Amazing. amazing. Never going to Jericho. But he said it is. In verse 3, 5. When he got to that tree, this man who ran and left Austin, that the house I was coming to, where? I was going to Beaumont. And he said, since I could not find a way in, in Austin, I'm going to run down to Houston and climb the, the tallest tree and wait to see him. And God said, how can he, in this world, should I pass this man by? It's not possible. He said, well, since I was going to Beaumont, I'm not going anymore. He says, I got come down. I'm going to your house right now. Because you've been so hungry. You who you wanted me so much, you got me. Are you following what I'm saying right now? And I'm going to give you one other example. I'm going to give you that's a mystery. Pastor Charles said this the last time, but I'm going to give you what God told me about something. What he said was correct, but let me give you another mystery. That when Christ wept, for the first time in the Bible, Christ wept in John 11. And the question comes to be why? Everywhere in the world. Because Lazarus, his friend, died. How could he be? That couldn't happen. If you look at verse 1 up to 4, he said, look, our friend Lazarus is sleeping. I'm going to go wake him up. And not only that, he assured us. You want to read it, read it please. What verse? From 1. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. This sickness is not unto death. Listen now. So that takes away the fact that Christ would even cry for Lazarus. It's not unto death. It's for God to be glorified. That's what's happened here. But there's something that is so silent. Why did the Bible take the time to say it was that Mary? Are you following me now? It was that. It wanted to remind us, Martha and Mary. Say, but it was that Mary who washed the feet of the Lord and with the hair and washed it. And I'm going to tell you why it is this right now. So Christ said to his apostles, we'll go and wake him up. In other words, it's okay. He, there's no way he could cry for Lazarus. It was for the glory of the living God. But something happened in verse 21 to 22. He got there and Martha came out. Remember the same Martha who was always very busy? Martha came out and did what? Martha came and worshipped him. And said, Lord, if you were here, my brother would not have died. And he told, him, told her, look, don't worry. I am the resurrection. But something happened that made Christ cry. Martha did not move Christ. Lazarus dead did not make Christ to cry. Impossible. It would not have been there. But Martha didn't. 
Auntie Mary showed up. Listen to me carefully right now. Mary loved Christ so much that they washed the feet, everything. The same Mary that would sit on the feet of the, cross, uh, the, the Christ listening to him while Mary was listening. The love of Mary was beyond any measure when it comes to that with the, with the, 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 the sister. But then verse 32 and 33 told us one thing. Mary came and said the same thing the sister said. Nothing different. Even though they fell on the, on the feet. But read me 33. Even 32, 33. He said, Christ looked down and saw Mary. Look at it. It's like you. You have this very loving child. That suddenly is crying. He will move you. What am a stranger? It's like that. Because this person who loves me so much is crying. For that, that was enough to move Christ. He said, he groaned in the spirit. And then he wept. 32, 33, please. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. You see, that's, that's why, that's where Christ, where he touched, began to cry. Martha did not touch Christ as much. It depends on the love. That's why Luke also gave us, let me tell you this also, this, this means, it's there. Luke gave us, said, the level of your love will determine how much you are forgiven. The level of love you have for God will determine how much you love? You're forgiven. If you love God, the more you love God, the more you're forgiven. The first time I brought this, and everybody was looking at me. But look, let's look. Uh, look, seven forty-seven, please. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Same love it little. We're going to stop here because of time. Okay? And we're going to continue next week. With actually, because I want to make sure that two weeks, we take two weeks and finish about love for God. Because that of love of other human beings is probably going to take us many weeks. <laughs> that is where the problem. But here, getting, getting this understood, he's saying here, this one lost so much, that's why I forgave so much. And the one who lost so little, I'll forgive so little. That tells you how serious it is. The intensity of our love. The intensity you have, love you have for God will determine also the level of your obedience. And that's very critical. Love God with everything you have. I hope and I pray to God that God has, our God has taught us this very night, not me, to go back into the foundation. How actually and what it means. What is possible for us to do. That the spirit of God can do it for us. Only if we are willing to forsake our evil ways and to obey him. And that's why he told us this. In Proverbs 8.13. He said the fear of the Lord is to what? But if... No, no. The fear of the Lord is to depart from evil. This is the only way you can fear God. But then he tells us also 
that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Therefore, to depart from evil is the beginning of wisdom. Did anybody got the quotation? Yes. I think to have been, uh, yeah, arithmetic is not even quotation. <laughs> when you depart from evil, it's the beginning of wisdom. And that is when you are transformed into the image of God. And God will bless you and keep you and give you this spirit that you will always walk with him in perfection. Thank you so much for listening to this message from Today Evangelical Ministries. We would love to receive your feedback and stay connected with you. So send us your comments or questions through our website on our Contact Us page or by sending an email to info at tmonline.org. Our web address is tmonline.org. You can also connect with us on Facebook or Twitter. God bless you.